The Echo Chamber, brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by the international broadcast specialist, Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today. Hello everyone and welcome to the Echo Chamber. I'm Maya Pavinska-Sims, the EMEA editor of The Homes Report and I'm joined in London today by the boss, Arun Sudarman. He's on the same continent as me for a change, which is wonderful. And also we've got in the studio David Tiltman, VP of Content at Walk, a marketing um, intelligence service, which is a sister brand to the Can Lion. And we're going to talk about all things can and beyond today. So welcome, David. Thank you. Hi. Um, hi. You don't have to refer to me as the boss. <laughs> I feel that raises expectations of <laughs> what I might talk about. David, it's great to have you on. It's been a while since you were last on this podcast. I it think. has. Yeah. It has. You I have fond memories of the last time. Yeah, I think you were talking about the most effective campaigns. It was like a walk ranking. Yeah, they still exist. They do. Bigger and better than ever. Okay, great. Well, <laughs> good, a good time to get a plug in. Um, so, Maya... What are we going to discuss today? We're going to, I'm going to ask David how, how Can went for you this year. Have you, have you survived re-entry from Planet Can successfully? So far, yes. I'm still working my way through my notes, but um, uh, so we'll see what, what delights those hold. But yeah, it was a really good Can for us. Um, so as you say, we're a sister, a sister brand to Can Lion. This, this is the first uh, time we've been to Can since... Uh, Walk was acquired last year by by Essential Group, which is, uh, as you may know, Can Lion's mm-hmm. owner. Um, and so I think what that allowed us to do was just play on a much bigger stage. So we had uh, a day of sessions in the Palais on the Wednesday on all things strategy and effectiveness. That went really well. Uh, and we actually launched, um, used the, the Can platform to launch uh, a white paper called the anatomy of effectiveness, which which ran through a lot of the th- current thinking around effectiveness mm, that in marketing. Very grown up. Talk us through that. It is quite grown up. Yes. Um, so I think what we wanted to do was use uh, use Can as a platform to talk about effectiveness a lot more. Obviously, Can traditionally is a festival of creativity, and creativity is still absolutely at its core, but. With so many brands there now, we are having a lot of conversations about how you uh, pull that creativity into the service of the business um, and and actually drive uh, business impact and uh, long-term brand health. Mm -hmm. So um, what we did was to, uh, you know, walk has an absolutely enormous database of case studies and research and thinking around how to advertise effectively. And we thought, well... And how to communicate effectively. And how to communicate effectively, absolutely. uh, Absolutely. case studies. Including the amazing (laughs) Sabre Awards. Um, So uh, what we did was we thought we would try and boil all of that down into um, a a number of kind of key considerations for brands who want to to communicate effectively. Uh, I'm happy to run you through those if you would like to. Did you say you had five points you'd come up with? Five, yeah, yeah, five. And, And really these are just kind of starting points. None of these are kind of 
easy things. It's not as trite as, you know, um, f- five ways to be effective. These are kind of five starting points. No, because that would be uh, a blog post rather than the one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, this this rounds were slightly longer than a blog post. Um, <laughs> it was a medium post. Yeah, <laughs> it was, it was <laughs> several medium posts. Oh, okay, sorry. Um, so, okay, so the first one is simply about our investing for growth. Are you investing enough? Um, we went through a period a few years ago where lots of people got very excited because they thought they could reduce money on paid media because they could get it all through earned media. Mm. Uh, Fools. Uh, yes. <laughs> and actually, actually, they found that they couldn't. And so there is still a lot of evidence that um, uh, investment in paid media is key and that you need to kind of benchmark your investment in terms of share of voice against your share of market and there is this mm. principle called excess share of voice where is if you if you are spending a higher percentage in terms of share of voice uh, on your marketing then um, then your share of market so if you have a five percent share market and you're spending uh, but you've got ten percent share of voice then you will grow so there is a there is a long standing relationship there. Okay. Um, now, one of the things we do in the white paper is look at the way that's being challenged. So a lot of people now thinking, well, share of voice only really refers to paid media. Uh, mm. Is there some kind of measure of share of experience or a broader kind of uh, way of getting a, a view on your um, presence within a market within your category? Um, to uh, that, that can replace this kind of share of voice calculation. Um, but so far, no one's actually found one yet. So mm-hmm. we're still benchmarking it in share of voice. Mm-hmm. So that's the first uh, principle. Um, the second principle is around um, balancing your spend. And this is between uh, long-term and short-term or brand building and performance or a number of ways to describe it. And there's lots in the advertising world, there's lots of work being done on this by people like Les Binet and Peter Field, who do a lot of research for the Institute for Practitioners in Advertising. And what they've done is really put the focus back onto brand. Um, So we've had several years where people have chased down the kind of tech rabbit hole. They're doing lots of short-term campaigns, lots of campaigns that drive very immediate uplifts in sales, Mm. but that aren't building the brand for the long term. Uh, those sales effects decay very quickly. Um, and, but what you're not seeing is the kind of lasting impact on the brand. And we talk a little bit about this um, and how there is this supposedly a kind of 60-40 rule where mm. you're supposed to spend about 60% mm. of your budget in brand rather than in activation. Um, that's not a hard and fast rule. That can vary by context. It can vary by brand. We've got a case study from Ikea where they, they spent 90% of their budget on um uh, brand, but what it's doing is um, forcing a lot of the advertisers to start realizing or recognizing that they're underspending on, mm. on their brand. And I've had a lot of conversations in Cannes and in other areas with clients who want to get back into brand and want to understand, you know, is that just sticking money on TV or? Are there other ways we can be investing, uh, particularly for brands with with mm. younger? Uh, I heard somebody at Cannes last week say that because of the rise of digital and social and the and the prominence of those kind of short term campaigns, that it needs to be more like seventy thirty these days rather than sixty forty. In favour of brand. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it, the, there is an argument that companies that have gone so far down the 
down the activation or the promotional rabbit warren probably need to overspend on brand to get out of it. Um, I've heard that. I've heard that argument too, and I've heard uh, Les Burnett and Peter Field argue that in certain contexts, yeah, it could be 70, 80 plus. But do you, do you see that balance reverting? Because presumably at the moment, there's kind of been an infatuation with activation mm-hmm. and tactical campaigns because of the rise of digital channels. I mean, do you actually see it perhaps shifting back towards brand? Yeah, I actually do. I mean, the conversations the conversations I've been having with advertisers are about that. Mm. So um, we we work a lot. A lot of our clients are our clients. Mm. Um, a lot of the people who subscribe to Walk, and um, they they come to us with uh, you know specific challenges or problems. And and a lot of the work we're doing now with all sorts of different brands is around helping them understand. Um, what this theory might means for them, mm-hmm. um, you know, they've all they've all kind of read the headlines, but they want to kind of get into the theory a bit more. So um, uh, we, you know, we work with them, and obviously we work closely with Peter, uh, people like Les uh, Les Benet and Peter Field or the Ehrenberg Bass Institute, who do a lot of work around this. Mm. So what's your third, what's the third principle in the white paper? Uh, the third one is around creativity. Oh. Obviously, there's a lot of, um, this is a good message in can. obviously. There's a lot of um, evidence that uh, creative marketing, particularly marketing that drives an emotional response, is, um, is just more effective than, than other types of, uh, t- types of advertising. There's a good P&G study we covered a few years ago where they tested all their, a whole bunch of their advertising and they found that the ones that drove a positive emotional response were eight times more impactful. I can't remember exactly how they defined it, but eight times more impactful than ones that didn't drive uh, any emotional response. And even campaigns that drove a negative emotional response, you know, things like disgust or fear, mm. um, were twice as effective as mm. campaigns that they... And, and there's this whole argument that actually the enemy isn't, the enemy isn't a kind of... Uh, the enemy isn't antagonism; it's indifference. Apathy. Mm. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and we're seeing a lot of interest in this idea that um, uh, that actually the worst thing you can do is just leave people apathetic mm. or indifferent. Mm. So when you talk about emotional response, that could be anything from humour to mm. uh, you know a purpose. deeply purpose. Well, well, I'm sure we'll talk about purpose. Oh yeah. Goodness. Do we have could to talk about purpose? Sadness. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole range of emotions, and and people like System One or or Millwood Brown. Anything that touches. Yeah. You it's 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 yes, it is exactly. It's so surprise, uh, humour, as you say, anger, and uh, ang- it could be anger. It could be. Um, uh, you know, sadness in a kind of positive way. Mm. You know, we, we've all heard, seen the John Lewis make make them cry, make them buy um, mm. approach. So there's an emotional thing. There's also um, distinctiveness is also important. So, and this is something that um, uh, a lot of the uh, a lot of brand uh, a lot of brands kind of lose sight on when they're focusing on finding a differentiated space in the market. It's about it, Actually, there's a lot of academic literature that puts the emphasis on distinctiveness rather than differentiation. And what what that means is, you know, you might you're in a kind of classic brand textbook. You might be um, differentiated as the low low price uh, the low price brand for under thirty fives living in cities, um, whereas distinctiveness is 
I wear the red one or wear the orange one or wear the one with a funny logo okay. or wear the one with the duck. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's about um, that because those things are what drive memory um, and memory uh, it, memory is key. Emotional mm. response drives memory encoding. Mm. And memory is key. Yeah. That's really interesting. The duck. Yeah, well. yeah the, the, it could be a duck or yeah. a meerkat or yeah. a, or uh, I mean, in fact, you know, com, it's it, I don't know this is a very UK example, but price comparison websites are fascinating for this because yeah. you think about it, it's the one of the most boring um, sectors you can possibly imagine. Apologies to any price comparison website marketers listening to this, mm. um, but the but uh, so what they've done is try and find as many ways to be distinctive as possible, mm. whether it's a meerkat or an opera singer or yeah. Or both. Or both, yeah. (laughs) Uh, What about point four? Uh, Point four is about media. So this is about planning for reach. Um, So... There's lots of, again, there's lots of evidence that uh, certainly at a brand building level, you just want to be reaching as many people as possible. Um, I know that sounds obvious, but we went through, again, this phase where... Um, we all got obsessed with targeting and yeah. cutting out mm-hmm. waste. And then actually what we've realized over time is there's a lot of value in the waste. Um, if you define wasting as people who aren't in the market right now, they might be in the market next year mm. or in six months. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, it's like, why Why would um, a nappy or diaper brand advertise mass market when it could just advertise mm. to new parents? Well, because when you become a new parent, you want a brand you can trust. Yeah, and also you're only in the market for nappies for a few months, and then there's a whole load of other. Yes. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Remember so it well. That, like back to more of a classical definition of reach. Or yeah. yeah. Yes, it is. Uh, the the challenge these days, obviously, is it, it's hard. You can still buy reach, um, mm. but you have to spread your money over more channels, which. Uh, it, it often increases frequency. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look, so Mark Pritchard made some in, in, uh, PNG made some interesting comments in Cannes where he was talking about um, they want to find ways to cut down frequency, which means people see their ads less often and reinvest the money in reach so that more people are seeing them. Mm. Um, and yeah. that's that's a tricky but it's really hard to do in uh, in the kind of modern modern fragmented media landscape. So those enormous reach numbers of billions at the end of every Can Lion entry video, it, it matters, does it? Uh, well, yeah. I mean, there's, there's, that's obviously impressions. Uh, I mean, the, uh, the, thing, the thing with reach is, again, the more people look at it, not all reach is created equal. Uh, and so one of the things we talk about in the white paper is the is yes we're we're trying to we're trying to fo- get people to think about reach but the quality of reach is also important okay. so context is important in that what environment are you appearing in is it a lean back or a lean forward medium um and attention you know there's uh, how likely is this stuff to be seen um how likely are you to to get attention in that in that channel so reach is a kind of starting point but there's increasingly there's kind of qualitative things that are being put around that so yeah those impression numbers at the end of the videos are in fact meaningless <laughs> yeah, yeah well yes yes I'm happy you talk to, to, you talk to any any judge and then yeah they don't they're, they're um, yeah especially if they're followed by Advertising value equivalency. No, in the no, PR. surely nobody's still mentioning AVE. They're in so many of the can PR lines. 
But they actually films. they rule it out in the. That's one thing you're not meant to mention in the written entry. I've seen them so in so many sneaking videos. Sneaking them in. I've seen them in so many. I'm yeah. sure you have as well. Yeah. Yeah, they definitely still exist. Which brings us to the final point in your white paper, number five, David. So the final one is about planning for recognition. And this is this goes back to what we're talking about, about distinctiveness, about memory structures. Um, If you the the whole shift towards short form in the last few years, you think, you know, everyone's talking about branding in six seconds Mm. and all that kind of thing. It's made everyone actually focus on um, what is actually quite a long-standing advertising principle, but we've, we all kind of forgot it when we had 30 seconds to play with, uh, which is that if you only have very short, um, very short spells of people's attention, you know, people may only be glancing at you, uh, and that's not going to happen very often. How do you actually get them to put the message in the ad along with you, your brand mm-hmm. in, in, in their heads. Yeah. How are you driving the memory that, you know, if, if you're the red one, that you're whatever. What do you stand for? Yeah. What is it? Yeah, what is it? What is it? So, um, so there's, a, and there's a number of different uh, kind of uh, theoretical underpinnings to this. So uh, there's a, a very influential group in Australia called the Ehrenberg Bass Institute, and they talk about distinctive brand assets. So that might be mm. your logos, your mm-hmm. colours. I mentioned the red one earlier, but colour is very important. Sound is very important, mm. um, particularly in a in a audio world. Yeah. Um, so uh, what are your assets and how can you use them in uh, in very kind of short, short bursts of uh, attention there's a lot of um psychology and behavioral science yes. to this theory isn't there it feels yeah. like it's this is going a lot deeper than we've been before in understanding how consumers are relating to brands deeper yeah. than, than for this podcast you mean mm. that deeper than ever for this <laughs> podcast. Than, yeah, yeah. This is, not so, the kind of superficial conversation we're used to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, i'm glad to bring uh, really. um so, yeah, so there's a lot of, obviously, behavioural stuff. Um, neuroscience underpins a lot of this as well. So I think, you know, when we talk uh, distinctive brand assets isn't necessarily a new thing. It's been around for a while. It dovetails with what a company called System One in the UK do, which is they, call, they, they look at things called fluent devices, which are which is like a posh way of saying things like the meerkat, where you can you, you see you see that device and you know it wherever it is, Mm. whether it's in the TV ad or whether it's on a poster or whether it's, Mm. um, you know, on on your phone. Um, So, Mm. so they, they, their argument, their evidence suggests that the um, ads that have these devices in are significantly more effective than ads that don't have them in. Mm -hmm. And then if you go into the neuroscience, you've got um, people like NeuroInsight who talk about um, memory encoding and the way advertising or indeed any sort of form of experience, so that could be PR as well, uh, can drive memory and how you associate those memories with a specific brand. Mm. Um, so th- there's there's lots going on in that area. It's an area that has a lot of interest because, as I say, this, we've got this rise of short form and this expansion of the kind of media palette. Um, but it's a very... It's a very interesting area. And one of the, I, I think, one of the interesting things for me is that a lot of the evidence that's emerging there kind of, it almost supports the sort of advertising uh, that people used to do. So jingles, mm. you know, we can all name our favorite jingles. 
nobody does jingles anymore. Yeah. Well, there may be the rise of sonic branding is, is a that's, return to that's that. That's a fluent device. Yeah. Jingle, yeah. And, I mean, it's, you, you, we can all remember the jingles from our childhood and they're, yeah. in, they're ingrained in our, in our memory. So um, people don't use jingles anymore, but there's lots of evidence that whether, it, whether you call it sonic branding, whether you call it a fluent device, that mm-hmm. sort of stuff does actually work. Mm. Okay. But this is just more than just kind of recall and consideration. These things all actually drive actual effectiveness so in terms of how do you are you, yeah. is there a, are you kind of looping from from um the actual advertising i guess to the to the evaluation or to the yeah so so i mean there's lots of kind of examples in the in the in the report we put lots of case studies yeah. in um i think where um i mean one of the most popular ways to describe it is to have mental and physical availability and that's uh, a Nuremberg bass institute um thing. so when you come into a category, when whether you're stood in front of a shelf or, you know, browsing a price comparison website or, or something else, um, what d- does that brand come to mind and is it associated with that category? Mm. Um, people tend to buy, uh, according to the, the theory, people tend, tend to buy in repertoires. So, mm. um, for example, they Coke buyers also buy Pepsi. Or, um, or possibly found so. Yeah, or something I just read else. that the other day. Seventy percent of all Pepsi buyers buy Coke. Yeah, I, I saw that. Too. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so, so there's, there, you'll have a repertoire of brands, and when you get to the shelf, it might be well, you know which one stands out more, or which one's on price promotion, or mm-hmm. which one. But it's about being in that set and having the, mm-hmm. those kind of memory structures help you get into the consideration set. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's lots of kind of long run evidence over many years that. That back this up. The people who take this really seriously are Mars. I mean, Mars mm. absolutely um, follow this stuff to the to the letter. They've been on top of marketing science for many years. Right. Um, and um, you look at something like the Snickers. You know where you're. Uh, you know you're not you when you're hungry. Mm. That is a an absolute classic of the of a, a campaign that ticks all these five all these five boxes, you know, mm. there. It's distinctive, it's on brand, uh they, they just keep going with it so it drives the the, the kind of recognition. It's planned across many channels. Uh they, they have a mass reach approach, but they balance they balance that with very smart activations. Mm-hmm. They had this thing called Hunger Rhythm in Australia a couple of years ago that's very very intelligent. Um and it, it just ticks ticks all these mm-hmm. ticks all these boxes. So um there are advertisers like that that, that really uh know how to do this stuff it's not easy to do they know how to do it and they they're very successful at it um i think what we wanted to do with the white paper is look at some of the areas where it's being challenged as well so Mm -hmm. to say that there is a kind of model here but in each area there's new thinking new ideas new approaches Mm -hmm. um because a lot of the evidence is still out still comes out of fmcg packaged goods Mm -hmm. and and there's lots of new types of brand emerging yeah, and it's interesting because one of the things I heard at Cannes, and it's not a new observation, but the rise of, I don't know how you refer to it, but kind of unbranded products or, or, or the popularity of non-brands, if that's a phrase, amongst younger mm-hmm. consumers. And I heard this last week. And I, w- I wonder, because everything you've detailed really, I think, reinforces the case for brands and brand equity. Mm. So do you do you think that's a real thing? Is that something that you've considered? 
the non-brand brand. Yeah. Well, it, I mean, it's just a different type of brand. Different type of brand. <laughs> but but, but is it, or is it just a, a sort of, I don't know, a more commoditized view of... I don't know. I mean, with anything like that, um, and you know, we have looked at things like direct-to-consumer brands. Mm. Because there is a there is arguably a new model of building a brand from scratch, mm-hmm. uh, and we're seeing lots of interesting small brands get to a relatively large size on what you might call a non-traditional marketing uh, marketing model. Now, the, the I guess the kind of rules that we've we've set out are more from a marketing approach that starts with a big brand and how do you keep how do you eke out extra growth and there is uh, a lot of interesting um, analysis being done on smaller brands and how they get to where they get to now mm. the the pr- the thing with these brands is they reach a point where they run out of the kind of people who will respond naturally to an unbranded brand for mm. example um, or to a you know, a mobile um, beer delivery service or whatever yeah. it is. Uh, and it's at this point where you, you kind of get from the small um, the small niche brand and you want to you wanna keep growing into a, into a larger yeah. brand that we start to see them um, move from this uh, a model that is very focused on performance marketing, cost per acquisition, that sort of thing into a more of a brand model Mm. and um, you see this so there's data we include in the report where um, the amount spent by um, direct-to-consumer brands in the US on TV has gone up hugely like several hundred percent in the last few years because these brands are reaching the point where they need to they need to invest Mm. in in a mass market proposition Mm. Um, right and so I don't, yeah, I think there may well be a future for unbranded brands or whatever that is. Mm. But um, but there, w- when the, you reach that point where you need to break out of your niche, that's, that's where it starts getting interesting. Sure. Okay. Um, so uh, you launched the white paper at Cannes. Did, yes. What else did you see that um, struck you over the course of the week? Apart from the walk billboard. Apart from the immense walk billboard. The immense walk billboard, Uh, (laughs) yes. Which I'm sure all everyone, we don't need to introduce it to our listeners. No, 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 no. Even even the people, uh, it was so big, even the people who weren't in Cannes will have seen it. Well, everyone who's not at Cannes follows Cannes avidly is one thing I've learned, you know. Yeah. So, I, yes, what did I see that struck me? So, some really nice interviews on the um, CAM TV station. And the first one we did was with the guy behind Whopper Detour, which mm. was obviously one of the big um, yeah. the big winners last week. Mm-hmm. I just, I thought stuff absolutely fascinating. The marketer or the ad? Uh, it, was the, uh, it was the creative from yeah. FCB New York, a yeah, guy called FCB. Gabriel Schmidt. Yeah. And what I hadn't realised before I started looking into that interview was that they weren't even on the Burger King roster. They oh. they just they I think they met him in Cannes. They, they met Fernando uh, Machado in in Cannes and wow. um, and That's had a real ROI for yeah, Cannes. Yeah, and had a had a uh, had a you know had a chat with him and then followed up with an idea and then it took about a year and a half to actually become to happen. Oh, but. Wow. Um, just an incredibly ambitious idea, and what I what I loved about it was um, 
Uh, well, not just the fact that the the agency kind of pitched it to him. It's just the, the ambition of it. Mm. So, uh, it, for the for people who don't don't know about it, what they did was they geofenced every McDonald's in the U.S. and then they set created an offer where they said if you go to McDonald's uh, with the Burger King app, you can then get a Whopper for one. You can get a coupon that gives you a Whopper for one for one cent. Yeah, um, it's just insanely ambitious but also has a really strong business purpose which at a time when um all qsr brands are trying to get people to into mobile ordering Mm. how do you actually get your app on people's phones and then get them to open it well this is a fantastic example so Mm. i loved it in that it was yeah it was you know massively creative and quite a funny example of you know one brand trolling another but um but actually had a real kind of business purpose. But that, that fast food fast food sector is on fire as far as their marketing and advertising is concerned at the moment. Burger King, McDonald's, KFC, they're just doing really interesting, fast, creative, original work. Yeah, there's a bit of a creative arms race in, yeah. that, uh, mm. in, that, in that sector. Um, I think, you know, that sector went through a really tough few years. Um, and... I'm, you know, I'm so, they are obviously still challenged, but um, they, you know, I think that the heat is elsewhere uh, in many respects these days, and um, and they've they've kind of almost been kind of been they've they've spent several years talking a lot about trust, rebuilding trust in mm-hmm. the food and their supply chains, all that sort of thing, um, and I think now they're in a position where. Uh, while they're still doing a lot of that messaging and still need to do a lot of that messaging, they do have kind of carte blanche to, to do some other crazy stuff. Mm. Yeah. So apart from the, uh, the the Burger King guy talking about that piece of work, was there anything else that really struck you at Cannes? How are the holding groups doing? Um, well, uh, they were there. Um, <laughs> but, I mean, that that is actually a change, right? Because they weren't all there in... Uh, 2018 right? yeah well yes yeah they were they were there um you know wpp had a beach at, mm. at, at one end and I, they, I saw it described as a lavish a lavish beach. beach it was quite glittery did you go i, I, I looked at it yeah i didn't quite i didn't make it i'm sorry to wpp but <laughs> they only sent me the invite like halfway through can when i felt they probably needed to get their numbers up uh, yeah, I think, I mean, it's an interesting time for the holding groups, isn't it? I mean, because the, the people actually making a lot of the noise there were um, were the, the consultancies. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, we, we were all there on the, on the Quizette. I mean, how many, how many agency logos did you actually see on the... Uh, I mean, you saw it was so weird. I thought this year because there was there were a lot of beaches from from kind of ad tech companies and so on, uh, and companies that perhaps were less well known compared to previous years when it when it was very agency led, uh, and now it's holding group led, except perhaps Omnicom, which I think is still still agency brand led. Yeah, yeah, Omnicom tend to let their brands do the do the talking. Yeah, and I think maybe because agencies can't compete with the. So you have the tech platforms, Facebook has a huge beach and Google's got a massive beach and there's a Twitter beach. Spotify has a beach as well. And I guess the individual brands can't compete, so they have to go in as a holding group maybe. I think we're going to see more of that, you know. I think we'll see IPG, Omnicom, Publicis following WP's lead this year. 
mm. because they can't. It's like budgets alone dictate that you can't really have much of a presence. Mm. I'm, I'm sure IPG would agree that they are going to follow WPP's lead. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe that would be differently phrased in but the perhaps, press release. Yeah, perhaps. Perhaps. But, but I mean, you, you can say publicists are already trying to act as a as a unit, as a holding group. And if you look at where the uh, getting back to the consultancies, you know, you didn't see Karma-Rama there. You saw Accenture Interactive. Um, yeah, everywhere. Oh. I mean, that was the other thing. The management consultancies were were very active and they had a lot of yachts, I noticed. Did you I get thought. any on any of the management no, consultancy uh, yachts? I walked past a couple. They had some great uh, taglines. Um, one of them was Trust, Creativity, Empathy. That was PwC. Did they have full stops between those words? They did. Wow. Yeah, I think, I mean, I felt very, you know, stirred to, to action when I saw that. <laughs> Gotta love a tagline. I really thought that was, yeah, stellar. Um, there was another really great tagline I saw on a yacht. Is it Metrics We Can, spelled <laughs> as can, <laughs> Metrics We Can Monetize. Yeah. I mean, that's just oh, breathtaking, really. Did it have really. Monetize with a Z in it? With a Z. Oh, my I gosh. know, the horror. No. <laughs> but, like... I know, but this is I, why so, we're not in advertising copywriting arena, which is why you know we like writing things that are like several hundred words rather than three random words. Yeah, but together. metrics we can monetize. I, I can't remember who it was. Do you do you recall? I can't. Was, I, I can't remember. It, it was it was on a yacht. I remember it was, it was on a David's yacht. David's blocked it out. Yeah, David's yeah. <laughs> being diplomatic. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, that was uh, that was memorable. So one thing I wanted to talk about about can it's like we all we all said upstairs it's like it never happened and it was you know we all got mm. back three or four days ago what's the for you david what's the what's the impact of can in the real world does it matter any of the stuff that's discussed there well it should do yeah i mean i, I think it's very easy to get um uh sniffy about a lot of the stuff that goes on at Cannes and yes you know you turn up and there is the, the 50th person talking about um, in very waffly terms about either found purpose or uh, social good yeah or, or yeah I mean, so but actually what I was quite struck by was the number of sessions that were more that, that, that were more um, Prag- functional Functional, yeah. There was a, there was a more of a whole meal element to. to uh, <laughs> there was definitely some uh, whole grain. Yeah, he, yeah. wholesale. <laughs> even, you know. <laughs> so, oh my god, he's come up with a tagline. <laughs> I, I I thought there was quite a lot in there this year, actually. I, I and I think there were quite a few things where, um, and certainly you know, the the stuff the stuff we had on our own stage, which was well, obviously which I mean, was, was... Which, which was more whole meal than most, but or whole grain or wholesale than that. Yeah. But uh, but yeah, the, I mean, people are actually talking um, about you know where the industry is going. Where, uh, for example, what you know, we, everyone's talking about customer experience about at the moment. So what does that actually mean for brands? What how do you apply that? Uh, and I think, and I you know, I know for me internally that the the can content team um, have tried very hard to get more. Case studies, more um, examples, more applications of creativity 
into the program than in uh, in previous years. I think they, they did a good job. Um, and, you know, there were f- definitely fewer celebrities. I mean... Um, there I, were, weren't there? Uh, so so it was only John Legend that. was probably... Was he the biggest... To know, but I missed him. I missed everybody. He was in every session. <laughs> I missed every. There John was a Legend date because he flew in, and I think he was he was back to back. I mean, he's look. John Legend, I think, does a good job. He works hard. He's a legend. PNG, <laughs> definitely. He's a legend. Thank you, Maya. He's uh, <laughs> PNG. Definitely get their money's worth out of him. Um, I think I saw him in two sessions, wow. including um, possibly one of my highlights of the week when he was interviewed by Michael Casson, who is. Um, CEO or founder of MediaLink, sister company now of Walk. So indeed, um, and it was uh, yeah, it was an interesting conversation. I, I, it's the kind of thing I think that perhaps people watching from afar mm. dislike about Can is the a celebrity talking about marketing to no yeah. actual effect, yeah. and people kind of wonder, well, what is What's what is this all about? And um, yeah, so this was a. I mean, I I think I I don't want to single out this particular like conversation because there's many like them and many events like them. But I think that's probably where that kind of stuff is so uh, disposable. That's yeah. what we forget really quickly. Yeah. And I think, like David said, there is some good stuff which is worth remembering. I think if only I could remember it. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's some really good stuff at Cannes. I'm not I'm as cynical as you are about mm. the whole thing yet. Yet, five I'd, years, I'd, I'd, five I'd years call in. it realistic okay. rather than cynical. <laughs> five five years in, I think there's um, I think the kind of you know we're we're slightly taking the Mickey out of everyone talking about purpose and social good the whole time. But actually, I think there's there's a lot of good intentions there, and uh, I don't know how you move from talking shop to actual change but stuff like the unstereotype alliance brands mm-hmm. for good mm. all of that stuff that has sort of come out of can and it is yeah. shifting things. it's definitely shifting things i mean you look at the representation of women in advertising now and look there's still a ton of work to be done but it has started it has started and i don't think that would have happened without some of these types of forms that bring marketers yeah. together. Mm. I, would def- I definitely agree with that. I mean, I think um, this year what was noticeable was, um, you mentioned the stereotype alliance, but things also things like um, Mars had this really interesting session where they produced all sorts of, done all sorts of internal research on representations of women in advertising um, and set themselves benchmarks that they will now measure themselves yeah. against in the future. And, and, and that's, that's great. And and mm. and you're right that without without I don't know whether without can, but without just the industry talking about this mm. for a sustained amount of time, nothing would actually yeah. um, have changed. So th- there is good stuff there. And I think also the thing that the the Mars CMO, her name escapes me for the moment, was at the IPG Women's Breakfast on the CMO panel mm. there, and she was saying that regarding that bit of benchmarking work. We, we've been patting ourselves on the back for a long time saying, you know, we're, we're doing better than the average when the average is pretty rubbish. Mm. And admitting that it's not good enough and we are going to change things is a completely different narrative for, for the brands. Mm. Yeah. And I mean, on that note, we had, uh, we had um, you know, a discussion with, with some in-house leaders um, during the week, one of whom was from Mars, uh, Kimberly West. And she made what I thought was one of the more interesting comments of the week where we were asking about purpose fatigue. 
uh, because that is, you know, it's an occupational hazard, I think, at Cannes or mm. any of these industry events. And, and she said brand activism is an antidote to purpose fatigue. So her solution to purpose fatigue wasn't for to do less, but for brands to actually, you know, I guess, focus on action rather than just Step rhetoric. Mm. Um, and, but, and maybe Mars is, is an example of that. I mean, you, you may know more, but they won the, the Grand Prix for the, the SDG category, if I'm not mistaken. So it does seem like they are putting their money where their mouth mm. is. Um, what other good case studies did you see or award winners that really stuck out for you, David? Uh, so, obviously, our focus is on strategy and effectiveness. Um, I, I really liked the the Grand Prix in both those categories. So, the Volvo, uh, the Volvo campaign that won the inaugural creative strategy line was just a really interesting. It was a combination of like uh, looking back to the brand's past and what how I think Volvo had invented the three point seatbelt and giving it away to the industry, and then the. So they kind of replicated that in the modern day by releasing all this data that um, into crash testing, um, which uh, was a really kind of interesting initiative, um, very strong strategy, very strong um, uh, kind of uh, thinking around it. And then in the creative uh, effectiveness space, there was the Carrefour, um, I can't remember what they're called now, they uh, but they they were using all these um, s- uh, seeds to create plants that were illegal under EU seed law, and it was all about kind of recreate uh, reviving ancient varieties of of um, I think they what what they did very well with it. It was um, take that kind of initial idea and then turn it into uh, some kind of real world activation. So you know, having um, uh, pop-up areas in their stores and uh, uh, creating a label out of it uh, and you know kind of that was good for sales but it also um, uh, you know they, they kind of followed through in the case study to actual changing EU law which is quite a, a, a quite an interesting um, example on a they really? could have just left the EU if they were unhappy <laughs> with the EU law I mean well isn't that know, the only yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's so easy it's so easy yeah <laughs> isn't that the only solution to um, but I think there's, there's some really good there, in both the strategy and effective lines there was some there was some good solid again whole meal whole meal stuff and then Whopper Detail which I, I, I oh, love yeah. uh, I'm sure that's going to be in uh, creative effectiveness next year because the the numbers from it yeah, are, we'll are really really impressive. So, what do you make of you know you get these people every year who are like, "Can has to go back to being about creativity," and the <laughs> the moment Can started going downhill is when they let the planners in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, you know those planners. Um, so, look, I mean, the thing I, I think the thing with Can now, and I'm speaking for my for myself here mm-hmm. um, is it's it's a reflection of the industry mm. um, it is a and it, it, there are several there are several multiple things going on at Cannes I think the the festival in itself the the the, the what goes on in the Palais uh, is still largely about creativity they talk mm. the language of creativity they're looking at creativity uh, they've broadened the focus a bit to taking things like creative effectiveness and creative strategy, but largely they're talking about creativity and what it means to be creative and why that's important. You've then got the kind of secondary can, which is all the stuff that goes on outside it, which uh, 
is just a reflection of the industry in its in its entirety. Mm. Yeah. Um, and that's where the meetings going on. I mean, it's it's a kind of the, the kind of trade show element. Of, it's a very glamorous yeah. trade show, but it's the kind of trade yeah. show element. Stretched though. I mean, that was one of my big uh, takeaways. Just the attendance at many events seemed to be thinner than usual. Yeah, I would agree. Um, I would agree. I mean, definitely more outside the Palais. But, I, you know, because there's so much content programming going on. Well, I think it's almost yeah. a victim of its own effectiveness, the, the fringe. The fringe is yeah. getting stronger and stronger. There is There are such good programs outside the Palais. Yeah. It's like, you know, we couldn't choose what to, no. what to go and see. It was I really mean, there's tough. There's like five options for every hour, yeah. it seems like. Yeah, I mean, again, yeah. speaking for myself, but, yeah, the, that seemed to change this year was mm. the amount of, well, you know, it used to be that, uh, there would be a beach that maybe would th- put on one thing in, in a day or two things in a yeah. day and now yeah, they have a, a whole entire program. content yeah. program yeah. Um, and, uh, the, and they piggyback a lot on, on the speakers that are in the palais um, which I always find interesting because you end up with kind of the same group of people uh, speaking at different mm-hmm. events and I mean I don't expect you to respond on behalf of Cam but I would, I would be annoyed if I was uh, the Can Lions and you're investing all this time and money in getting these big name speakers into the Palais, and then they're doing like five other events, yeah, down at the Pinterest Beach, down, exactly, pop up on a little panel session right, down exactly, there, exactly on on you know whatever ad tech boat and so on. Although maybe not the ad tech boats, but but yeah, I I, I would I don't know. I think they should maybe work it into the the, the contracts or get some sort of a exclusivity mm. deal arranged. Um, You're right. I'm not going to comment on that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I, I actually, you know, I feel for Ken in that respect, because if it was our event, I would be a little annoyed if that was. Yeah, I think I think as you as you said, I I think what everyone's kind of cottoned on to in the in the last two, three years is there is a huge opportunity in Cam to talk to talk about stuff and to put on content Mm. and um, uh, you know we're we're very lucky in that we um, our content has a sp- very specific audience, and so w- we've been able to actually keep our audiences growing. We've not had any kind of sense of um, audiences slackening off in our sessions. Mm. But you 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 just look at the amount of content that is on with very similar people speaking mm-hmm. on different sessions, and yeah. it's hard to ch- it's, it's it's actually hard to choose. You know yeah. that when you've got uh, you know you've got six different options at, for any one time slot and uh. um so moving on from cam because you know the beaches are dismantled on now from cam. <laughs> surely not can's dead to me now yeah. it's over um what's your focus for this year with walk any more big white papers or exciting stuff going on uh it's always exciting stuff going on um Goes so saying. so yeah so we're um uh, we'll spend the rest of the summer um releasing uh Follow-ups to uh, to Can, whether so we do an analysis of the creative effectiveness lines. So we'll we'll mm-hmm. uh, we'll look at that in a few weeks, and we do a big future strategy report uh, that kind of builds on some of the work we did in the Palais uh, last year. Uh, and then um, look towards the back end of the year, we've got a, a big report we bring out towards the end of the year called the Marketers Toolkit, which um, is a kind of trends. Trends focus on where the where money is where money is going in the industry and and how to be more effective. Is that an annual thing? You've done yes. That before. So, yeah. what were the big findings last year? And were you expecting to change this year? Uh, oh goodness. Well, uh, so last year, um, 
Ah, uh, so long ago now. Uh, <laughs> last year we looked at. Um, uh, so the big things last year were blockchain. <laughs> no, actually it wasn't blockchain. Yeah, we, we, we at, at we a guess, <laughs> yeah. was it blockchain? The, one of the things. One of the things because we our our one is not based on. It's it's based on a survey of our audience, so mm. it's not based on right. kind of us, you know, sitting in a dark room Spending. and yeah. and, uh, and and coming up with um, uh, you know deep thoughts. It's based on actually, well, what do, what are our audience telling us that they're they're doing? Mm. So um, and and the, what you get out of that is you get near range trends. It's not where the industry is going to be in five years. It's well, what do we actually care about in the next twelve months? Um, and so last year, the, the big themes were customer experience, um, which is a, a, a huge focus for, um, uh, for the client side and increasingly finding its way into to the, the kind of agency side briefs. Um, uh, we looked at search, a lot, of, a lot more interest in search because a search is diversifying, particularly with voice search. That's... Uh, yep. Uh, that's that's becoming more important. Um, ongoing, there's obviously the ongoing shift to video, um, rise of short formats, all that sorts of stuff. Mm. Um, cool, Maya. What was your highlight from Cannes? Sorry, to come back to Cannes. But I've left it. I've emotionally, I've left really Cannes. So I really loved. I, I always say this. I love the IPG breakfast. It used to be called the Women's Breakfast. It's still all the women speakers. Um, it's always a highlight. It's three hours. We were just kind of immersed in everything from kind of stand-up comedy, from some Latina mm -hmm. um, comic to uh, the big CMO panels to um, really inspiring stuff. They had a, the obituary, like really random stuff you see at Cannes. Like they had the obituaries editor of the New York Times yeah, there this year. Yeah, because that's a big issue, wasn't it? The... Talking about her project where she realised that something like, I think 28% of all obits they'd ever written were women. Mm. And there were people of uh, people of colour from all sorts of achievements who'd never been mentioned in the obits column. Mm. So she's got this... Um, project to to fill in the gaps, basically, to write the obituaries and commission the obituaries of those who were never covered in the New York Times. So that's what I love about Cannes, is that you'll just come up against a completely brand new bit of information. It might be tangential to marketing and advertising and PR. Well, if so much the better. But, wait, <laughs> but I think that's a good thing. Right? Yeah. I think it's good that I you agree. can just go in there and kind of yeah. soak up all this stuff that is at the intersection of media and um, consumers and brands. And it's that you come away with it always inspired, even if it's by something you never thought you would kind of pay. Yeah, and that's well attended, isn't it? I mean, that remains really well attended. Yeah, it was packed it? out. Was packed. Yeah, so, I had yeah. to literally flash my press pass and say, do you not know how I am? Really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. But that's fine. It's fine. I got in, obviously. Good. Okay. <laughs> Good. Wow. That's so, impressive. Um, we've been on a bit of a tour today from the ivory, if it's not... It's been a journey. ...rosé tinted <laughs> towers of Cannes to the dark rooms of uh, marketing intelligence. David, thank you very much for joining us on the Pleasure, thank you for having me. Thank you. You've been listening to The Echo Chamber. Brought to you by The Homes Report and produced by Marketeers. Sponsored by The Bullet Group, putting you in tomorrow's conversations today.